Well, hi, headless body. How's everybody doing out there? It's uh, Thursday, the 15th of December, 2022. Unbelievable. I uh, hope everybody's doing well. I'm actually in a pretty bright mood, actually. I don't know why. Talking to Zell has that effect on me sometimes. Um, and uh, a couple quick things as usual. Um, but uh, we're going to jump into questions pretty fast tonight, I think, so. Uh, hopefully everybody's having a good time, and here we are. Looks like we're good. We're good live to uh, Twitch and to YouTube. So, howdy, howdy. Um, so everybody, be sure you write down the um, name and the uh, write down the date and the time because it turns out that I have uh, actually made a mistake. I've been wrong about something, uh, and I'm going to have to publish. Not a retraction, really. It's uh, more of a correction. Is a term I'd like to use. I got, um, after I did the last uh, firewall on weaponized trust, where I uh, saw a show of a mentalist and uh, immediately deduced uh, the uh, nefarious methods that he used, uh, turns out I deduced wrong, uh, just plain was <laughs> wrong. And the reason I know it was wrong, because we have a longtime uh, fan back from the eject, eject, eject days, who not only is a mentalist, he actually, uh, you know, plays one on TV, teaches it, that kind of thing. So, um, so uh, I'll just go over uh, what I got, uh, what I got wrong on that. So, for those of you who uh, have seen it, and those of you who have not, um, I saw a show about a mentalist, and I was talking about how people build trust and and how they um, basically use a lot of blind spots and so on. And uh, and I said because I thought it was the only explanation possible that that the only way to explain this is that these people who he was calling on were actually part of the play. They were they were players, they were actors in the play. And um, and uh, my friend the mentalist called and I spoke to him for about two and a half hours on the phone this morning. Um, and he, he, the the initial email was uh, Bill, you got a lot of stuff right, but you you got the main thing uh, wrong. And the truth is, it's even simpler than that. And I thought, oh, that's good. That's cool. So um, for those of you just who didn't see it, just a super fast recap. So um, I, the mentalist did various feats that, that seemed impossible. And, and, and of course, they were. And the ones that I pointed out were um, uh, he asks a guy who catches a balloon to name uh, his favorite um, fictional character. I, I left a lot out of that because I wanted to protect uh, the I wanted to protect the performer. You know, I didn't want to completely rat the guy out. So I did not include. But what, what actually happened too was he he gave the answer. He said Luke Skywalker, and then he said the mentalist said pop the balloon, and inside the balloon was a rolled up piece of paper, and inside the piece of paper unfolded it said Luke Skywalker, and I said I don't believe it, uh, and I couldn't think of another of another way to do it. Um, and likewise, uh, the prodigious feats of memory that I told you about, where he's, he says he memorized the first 277 pages, pick a page, any random page, and uh, and so the person did, and he memorized, he, he repeated back the first paragraph of the two pages, and I thought, no, but there's no way this guy's memorized 300 or 277 pages. No way he's memorized the first paragraph of 277 pages. Uh, I was wrong about that, too. Um, uh, Eric, asked the, Eric Blake asked the uh, normal question. Uh, Bill, uh, 
if this mentalist is a friend of yours, why not ask him about your deductions before I made the video? Because he wasn't a friend of mine before he made the video. Um, he uh, he was just a, a member and a fan. Uh, after that, uh, now I consider him a friend. We talked for two, two and a half hours today. It was just a blast. It was really, really fun. Really had a good time. Um, so... Uh, all of the stuff about the, you know, the, the, the married couple being, you know, so just gushing. And I thought that was all part of the performance. Wrong about all of that. Was, some things I was right about. Uh, I was right about um, how we're prepped to want to believe things from people who look like they should be telling us. I was right about the fact that there are some people who seem so unlikely to be liars that we basically just don't believe them on sight. And a lot of the little incidental things that I mentioned that build trust and so on, I was right about those two. So I will tell you what the mentalist told me uh, in terms of how this guy pulled it off. I had thought, as I said, that, that the only explanation for this was that everybody who he called on was a, a plant, a member of the audience. And he said, no, that's not it. And I said, well, I'm all ears. What happened was you would go into the theater, as I mentioned in the video, and they would hand out little slips of paper and fold them up, and, and you put them in, a, in, the, um, in an envelope, seal the envelope, and then put them in a big old goldfish bowl. And what happened was he did, a, he did get a chance to look at that goldfish bowl. Now, before the show, most of the questions, this is the thing I couldn't understand. So I said, so how did, so how did he figure out if the guy wasn't, if the guy in the audience wasn't working with him, how did he figure out that it was Luke Skywalker? Because he didn't ask a whole lot of questions. He said he knew it was Luke Skywalker because that's what he wrote on the form when he came in. I said, I got questions like, what's your favorite color? Or, 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 or why do you want to be here? He said, well, that guy got a question saying, who is your favorite fictional character? And he wrote down Luke Skywalker. And so that's the envelope that he picked. That's the guy that he called on. He didn't he didn't draw it at random, as I, as I perceived. He knew that the guy in 63D had written down on his piece of paper, Luke Skywalker, and, and in the time it took before that and everybody filed in, they had written the name Luke Skywalker on all the balloons, put it in all the balloons before they blew him up. So whoever, whoever got a balloon, as long as he got a balloon, that part was correct. You know, you, had to, you, you knew guy in 63F is the guy who wrote Luke Skywalker on his thing. He's not actually on the team, but that's the guy. So, like I said, a lot of this I got right. When the guy's got a balloon in his hand, he says, okay, stop. Then he pops it. I didn't mention that in the video. And then, and then out comes the role of Luke Skywalker. Oh, my God, it's amazing. So, so I said, but, but that's... So, I said, so I'm kind of working it through in my mind. I said, so, so what he must have done is he must have... He must have did, it's for the sake of the argument, 100-seat theater. So let's say he calls on seven people. He must have written more specific questions for at least seven or eight people. But he, he couldn't have asked everybody specific questions because if, if he asks me, you know, who my um, favorite fictional character is, and I write Luke Skywalker, I'm going to be, you know, surprised. The thing that blew the guy's mind who was participating was how did he get into the balloon? He just looked at all of these things. Now, the thing he did about the memory, this is one of the this is one of the best things I have ever heard in my life. It took him three times to explain it to me. Once I understood it, it was crystal clear. But listen to this. So the guy hands off a book of uh, of the, the uh, collective works of Charles Dickens to to it turned out to an actual audience member who wasn't uh, an actor. 
And he says, okay, here's this book. I've, I've memorized up to page uh, 277, so, um, so nothing after that because I haven't gotten to that yet. And then the mentalist points out, by the way, that was a brilliant observation, Bill, that, that, was, that, was, a, that was a really clever observation. Thank you very much. I feel slightly less of an idiot now. So I said, how did he memorize this? So he told me. So he calls on an actual person, and this could have been anybody, right? This could have genuinely been anybody. Hands them the book that says the complete works of Charles Dickens. Tells this woman to pick a page at random, which she does. It is, in fact, a random page. He says, what's the page number? She says, 261. Then he does the whole, you know, you got to put the show on this thing. He knows the answer immediately. And he reads, sure enough, he reads the chapter from page 261. And any page that she picked, he would have that answer. I said, are you telling me that, that he memorized 277 first paragraphs? He said, no. He only memorized 10 of them. How does that work? Is he just hoping he lands on one of the, you know what I said before? I said, let me just stop you for one second before we go any further. Is this like an, an attorney, right, that, that, that people who are doing this kind of show never ask a question that they don't know the answer to? He said, precisely, we never ever ask a question we don't already know the answer to. Okay, so, so how, did he, how did he get by with memorizing only 10 of these things? Well, what he did was, now stay with me, if the page number ended in zero, he'd memorize zero. He'd memorize the paragraph at zero. If it ended in one, he'd memorize the one for one, two for two, three for four, four for four. So it's the last digit of the book page. So when she says 277, all he has to do is remember seven. What is the paragraph? What's the seventh number seven paragraph that I, that I mentioned? And he, that's, that's easily within um, memorization range. So he feeds that back, right? And here's the part that just blew my mind. I said, okay. Uh, uh, former uh, anonymous uh, friend. Okay, but how does he know that she's going to land on one of those 10 pages? And he said, because he printed a copy of the book that has those same 10 paragraphs as the first paragraph on every single one of the pages of the book. Everybody get that? Now, what would have been tricky is I don't know how he could have got around this, because he did twice. If, if somebody had said 177 and then said 77, he'd be in trouble because it'd be the same paragraph. But almost never, never people would not repeat the same numbers. It's got to be like a, like a mind game. He simply printed up a copy of the book, and he, and he changed the first paragraph of every single page to be, if it was a page that ended in zero, he had the zero paragraph thing. If it ended in one, he had the one thing done. I just fell over when I heard that. I thought it was, was absolutely brilliant. And I said, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of a scene in a movie called uh, Tin Men. Have you seen it? He said, yeah, I remember it. It's a, a Richard Dreyfuss. Said, yeah, these are, it's, a, it's a movie about guys who sell aluminum siding. And it's kind of like a combination of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and... and um, and uh, the sting, right? Because these guys are basically shysters. There, there was a big period in American history where all of a sudden everybody wanted to put aluminum siding on the wall that on the outside of their house made it look like, you know, like slatted wood. It never had termites. You didn't have to paint it, blah, blah, blah. So there was a lot of that going around. And I said, it reminds me of this scene in, in, um, in, in Tin Men. And the two guys are talking, I think, if, as I recall, it's been 25 years or something, but the two guys are talking about one of these guys who was a salesman, and he was a legend, right? This guy was a legend. And they said, yeah, uh, you, know, you know what he did? 
they would they would go out and measure the house with a yardstick, right? A big old yardstick, which is three feet long. So he'd go out and measure this house with a yardstick, and he'd bring the owner out there. Right? Let's have a look. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And he calculates it that way. And he said this legendary salesman that they were talking about. Mike is clipping a bit. Okay, that's good to know. I'll turn it down a wee bit. Um, this legendary salesman, the, the two salesmen are saying, he cut four inches out of the middle of the yardstick because nobody looks at the middle of the yardstick. So he wasn't measuring every uh, 36 inches. He was measuring every 32 inches, which meant that he could sell more of it because he's using a shorter measurement. Instead of it being, you know, 30 yards long, it's only, it, it's actually 40 yardsticks long. And I thought, man, that's just, that's just fantastic. Nobody, nobody looks at the, that was the line, that was the line I remember so clearly. Nobody looks at the center of a yardstick, especially if he's holding it like that, right? So I thought, wow, fantastic. That's really cool. Um, let me think if there's any other examples that he gave me. Uh, no, it was all pretty much variations of somebody would get a question, and the question was, what is your happiest memory? And he went with that one, prepped everything backstage for the, for the wedding thing, and all the reactions on that were good. One of the reasons he got a, that, that these guys get away with it is because, and this was something I had to kind of deduce and, and confirm with him too, is that the information that they would take in, that they knew, the information that they would act on, they separated that a great deal of time later than when they actually asked the question. So for example, he says, um, uh, he says to a woman, um, has her write down on the form, what's your favorite number? Okay, my number is, pick a number between 1 and 100, 63. Okay, so we know the woman in, in 10J has said 63. That's her favorite number. So then he'll go on and do all kinds of other things, right? And, and he'll ask somebody to visualize something, right? I want you to concentrate on uh, something. I forget the actual details. So he'll, he'll be talking to somebody else, and then he'll say, Where are you? you were the person who, who what, what did you say your favorite number was? Before before that, rather you saying, I'm getting um I'm getting before before you ask the question I'm getting um oh it's so weird it's a it's like a, I'm seeing like ice flows or or, or like some kind of broken glass because the spirits can't just come out and tell you you know we all know the spirits are all pretty vague so he's doing this whole thing and then he goes cocktail why is the word why is the word cocktail so important and he he's got the guy staring at the at the wet at the dictionary that's what it is and earlier this woman said her favorite number was this and he says what, what did you say your favorite number was again she said 63 he said go to page 63 what's the first word on page 63 cocktail right and and because he separated those two things by so much time so told so many other stories in the in, in between that no one puts together the fact that she had said what her she had already told him what page he was going to go to. It just he just broke it up. Now this is this has really got nothing to see with the show, but this is something that I just adore. This is one of the one of the best things I ever heard in my life. So he went in for a palm reading as a professional, right? That's a different kind of a of a uh, um, gambit. So uh, he goes in, he goes in just as a professional, just to see the technique. He's got some time, and he sees this. There's somebody there as a, a palm reader. So he goes in, and it's like a hundred dollars for for two questions. 
So, okay, that sounds like it might be worth seeing. So, so again, he sees everything that he's, he's expecting to see. He goes through the beaded curtains, you know, and then there's all this incense, and it's a dark room with lots of, you know, red velvet, and, and the woman is kind of heavy set. She's got dark hair, you know, and ear, you know, rings and, and the headdress thing, and she looks exactly like a gypsy, exactly like what you would think she would look like. She's got a gypsy kind of accent. Um, and so, and so she's looking at him, and she, and she says, shall we begin? And, uh, and he says, uh, hundred bucks. That's pretty steep for just two questions, isn't it? And she said, yes, it is. And that's your first question. Now for your second question. Uh, and then he said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to stump her. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just pissed off now. I'm going to, I'm going to put her over a barrel. So he came up with, with what he thought was the killer question. He didn't say anything like, give me my father's name or anything. He said, what is my father doing right now? And she and the crystal ball lights up, you know, as so it goes through the whole thing, right? Blah, 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 blah. And then she says, right now, your father is driving a bitter truck in St. Louis. And he goes, ha! Wrong! My, my father died seven years ago. And she says, no, no. The man who married your mother died six years ago, but your father is driving a beer truck in St. Louis. How do you? I, 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 that was simply the most brilliant thing I've ever heard in my life, ever. I, I just, I just could not get over it. It made me. It just made me so. It just filled me with admiration, right? Because there's no repute. There's no reputing that. No, no, no. The, the, the man who married your mother died six years ago, but your father, he's driving a bear truck in St. Louis right now. Genius. Genius, genius, genius. Let's see if there's any other notes here, just real quick. Um, I think I got most of it here. I also, um, I also asked him, you know, with the, the, I think there's a lot of social manipulation going on, obviously. I said, so how does that work? He says, well, well you were right about things like Fauci, where... You, Fauci looks like you would expect him to look, even sounds a bit like you would expect him to look, that kind of obnoxious, you know, uh, New York accent, but he, he sounds like, you know, sounds like a guy who's, who's done all this stuff. And he said the, the, the trick with, with what guys like Fauci do is, is he said any, any good trickster like this knows that the more truth you can put into an answer, the more believable it will become and the more you tend to overlook whatever inconsistency. So he would say, if Fauci gets out there and he's got some bit of deception that he wants to employ, he'll come out there and he'll state something that's obviously true. Then he'll state something else sounds complicated that's obviously true. Viruses are smaller than bacteria. They can't be cured with antibiotics. And he'll go through five or six or seven of these things that are obviously true. And then the eighth one will just be an assertion. It'll just be an assertion. It'll be delivered in exactly the same tone of voice and everything else. And that's where you, that's where the hook goes, right? You, you hear him, you hear any of these guys saying as much truth as they possibly can. And comes a point when you realize, well, obviously the guy's telling the truth because I know all these things are real, but it ain't necessarily so. Um, he also did something that it was really kind of interesting, I thought too. So there is some, certainly selection in this. So he, he could call, he could stand up in the front of the room. He could call five people up, random people who have nothing to do with the show. I was just dead wrong about that. 
but he can he can look for certain qualities in people. He can, he can tell from just how far they're leaning into it. He can tell who's already on board, who actually believes this. He can also see, you know, the, 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 the husbands are sitting there like that, you know. So he's got a, a decent idea of, of how much on board they are. And so what he did was he picked, he picked five people that looked, that just looked fundamentally honest. They just weren't dressing ostentatiously. They, they just didn't have any you know, they weren't dyeing their hair. You know what I mean? They're just no, there was no pretense about them. So he'd call five of them up, right? And then he did it. He did something with a bag, right? He hid something in a bag. I don't remember the details of that. But then he handed the, he turns around and he hands like five bags to these people, right? And he says, I'm going to determine which one of you has the object in the bag, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk down the line. I'm going to stand in front of you. I'm going to look you right in the eye, and then each one of you will say exactly the same thing. You will say, it's not in my bag. Everybody understand? Yep. So he goes down there. It's not in my bag. 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 Honest people will always get uncomfortable when they're telling a lie, especially when they're on stage in front of other people. And that's a, just a poker tell. But he says it's amazing what you can what you can learn from that. How much just how much information, you know, that, that you can get from that stuff. And um, I asked him. He, he did a lot of hand magic, a lot of card tricks. Uh, I've always. I said, okay, so you got a card trick. Somebody picks a card out of the deck, right? I don't think I'm going to tell that one. Actually, that's just I'm not. I don't need to tell that. It's not got anything to do with the story. So I'll make the corrections and I'll um, and I'll add uh, whatever politic uh, stuff I can. I certainly owe it. That way, I don't want to be, um, you know, uh, wrong about things. And, and when I am wrong, I, I correct them. But in a, in a lot of ways, it was more interesting, really, than than just the fact that everybody was in on it. Although nobody ever thought of the fact that they were in on it. And he said, "Look, the reason that they're not in on it is because it costs too much." I said, "Yeah, actually, to be honest with you, that was the one thing I was considering. Not only did it cost too much that night, but he can't use the same cast every night. He's got to mix it up. If somebody comes, like, uh, if somebody comes back and sees it three nights later, and it's the same guy with the same thing, that's not going to work." And I'm thinking in my head, "Well, maybe they can kind of rotate the cast. Maybe, maybe they use ten people a night. Maybe they got like forty people and stuff." Not so. You don't need it. It's it's just simpler than that. Um, one more example I remember. He would say, "All right, one one trick I used to do." when I would have like a regular meeting or something like that, I'd be one place and, and I'd be coming back uh, in a relatively short time. He said, I would do, um, I would predict, I would be able to predict the headlines, right? I will write down the prediction now in an envelope, right? And we'll seal it. I'll put this, I'll write, I'll write three predictions in, right? On different colored paper, and I'll put them in this envelope seal it, and then I'm going to give it to you, sir, and you are going to hold this envelope for the next week until I come back, okay? And I will predict the headline of that day when, when we come back and do this in, in a week. I said, okay, you got me. How the hell did you do that? He said, well, first thing I do is uh, I check the news for that day. When he's doing the act, he says, okay, sir, let's unseal the envelope. I'm not looking at the answers just yet, but I do sense already, I'm, I'm clearly sensing that the correct answer is on the blue piece of paper. So he, so he takes this thing, and then he turns it upside down and starts shaking it, right? 
and the yellow piece of paper falls out and the pink piece of paper falls out and then he sleight of hand put the blue piece of paper down because the actual blue piece of paper is glued to the inside of the envelope. So he does the switch right at the last second. Just at that last instant, he does it. Um, and he wrote the headline on the blue piece of paper 20 minutes before the show started. And the guy had held on to an envelope that probably didn't have any, anything written on it. But, but the provenance of that envelope, he, he could have, you know, you know, sunk it into concrete, dumped it to the bottom of the ocean, whatever he wanted to do to make sure that the guy couldn't see it. But that wasn't relevant. He made the change. It, the one thing I learned is that, is that these guys have a very busy pregame show, very busy, that virtually everything that they're able to do, they have to do in the time it takes for people to come into the theater and sit down and, and the show's starting. So that's when you have to prep the balloons. That's when you have to write the headline prediction. And, uh, and in that particular case, he said it just happened to be uh, the day of the uh, Lockerbie explosion, you know, when the uh, terrorists blew up that Pan Am flight over Scotland. And so he can't just say, he, he can't just say, oh, oh, I've opened the headline and, uh, and read what it says, sir, you know. Uh, it says Lockerbie, air, air explosion over Lockerbie. No. He had to write something. He, said, he puts the blue piece, done the switch. He says, sir, would you read this to the audience? And the guy's looking at it and he says, I see fire, I see pieces of broken metal, I sense an overwhelming sense of grief and fear and anger, and, and, he, and, 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 and I get a, a European, a northern European setting, makes it vague enough about, so that you don't just go, mm, but certainly puts enough in there for you to go, my God, the guy predicted the Lockerbie bombing. So anyway, uh, that's that. Alrighty then. Um, Let's go to the questiones, shall we? Yes, let's show. We're going to do uh, billwood.com first because rank hath its privileges. And then we will go to Facebook if we get through these, and I'm hoping we will. Uh, so let's see what we got here. Uh, once again, I'm going to have to put on the cogitation spectacles. I can feel it. Come on. Extend. Okay, log in. Forum. Stress for lunch questions and more. Oh, and by the way, I didn't say this in the beginning. I'm, I, I really am sorry. I missed, I missed last week's stratosphere lounge and i missed monday's stratosphere studio i've just been crazy on getting the scripts done and that was one other thing i did want to talk about so before i get to these questions i'll just go over that super fast um i saw uh saw the rough cut of the first episode of the cold war that we shot five six weeks ago uh and it's unbelievable it's just crazy unbelievable um I mean, it's it's just beautifully edited. The stuff they put in is beautiful. Uh, all of it. It was just fantastic. So um, that was that was wonderful. Um, and then the other thing I did uh, since the last show is I spoke to the design team that's going to be doing the set for the um, for the uh, Empire of Terror series. That the thing about the Soviet secret police, and that thing is going to be off the hook. They're going to have a video wall behind me. We're going to. I'm not going to cheat on it, what it was, but I will tell you that I saw the proposal that these guys submitted, and the proposal was great, and I said, we can do a lot with this. Um, but uh, 
but when I when we when we started, I, I had a pretty clear idea of what I wanted to do. Although I, I didn't in the beginning because frankly I just didn't know if it, it was possible. But when they sent in their their proposal, I just ran with it. And and that thing is going to be mind boggling, really, really something. Okay, so here we go. Back to the questiones. Um, I told that story three times. I didn't tell the story about the set, I don't think, because that only happened a couple days ago. Um, anyway, here we go. Oh, here's Ian Nolan again. With a, He says, it's not a question, just a bunch of links, and he's just always been so good about this. Um, so I'm just going to make a note of that, and I will come back to that because... Uh, you know, that's something we really need to take uh, take care of here. All right, so we go to the next one, which is uh, Chris Taylor. Um, I think when Ms. Dark and foreigners like Jordan Peterson describe conservative authoritarianism, that idea makes sense to them considering foreign or historical philo political philosophies. People often forget how weird and revolutionary America is to base its political system on all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. When all other political systems, all the way back to when the Israelites begged God for a king, are based on some appeal to authority above the individual that is supposed to manage and corral individuals for that authority's benefit. Certainly someone who wanted to conserve the monarchy, Islam, the, the case system, the party, etc., could easily be authoritarian in a way that doesn't make sense in our case. It must be very natural for anyone not steeped in our anomalous philosophy to think, you really can't mean that. What's your real angle? Uh, I'll ask the more universal question that perhaps Ms. Dark should, if I should just let you guys have the show. Um, can you compare and contrast what case-selected authoritarian would look like versus our selected authoritarianism? That's a long one. What traits and skills and selectedness would an author authoritarian leadership need to rise above and stay on top of each type of society? Okay, well, that last part about I've spent a great deal of my time in the last three, four, five months, a great deal of my time uh, in gulags and, and in dungeons run by, uh, you know, fully authoritarian secret police. So this is a mechanism that I have studied. I knew pretty well before I studied this thing, but I think I could, I could, I could certainly get a bachelor's or a master's degree in it. I might be able to write a PhD thesis on it by now. So first to the first part of the question. Yes, this left and right division is a, is a is an import. Left and right was the division in in European Parliament, and and neither one of those sides were what we are. So when you hear like, okay, so the communists, you know, the left wingers, the communists are fighting the Nazis, the right wingers. It's like that may be true in Europe, but but it's you know it's certainly not here. We we're 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 being lazy by allowing them to to say right wing, but right wing means conservative here. But it sure as hell doesn't mean Nazi. In fact, it's the antithesis of Nazism. So that's essentially the point that Chris is making here, and he's absolutely right. If if probably a better term is is radical and reactionary. But even then, there is no there is no definition of conservative that matches any thing like 
the Nazi Party or the Communist Party. However, there's a great deal about progressivism that does, including things like a strong, powerful, centralized state, the subjugation of the of the individual to the many, the uh, the collectivist idea that that common welfare is more important than individual welfare, the belief in free health care, you know, socialized health care, prepaid health care. All of those things, those are things that the Democrats believed in, the communists believed in, and the Nazis believed in. Chris's point is, is very well taken. I mean, it's really, it's really the point. And the point is that there is nothing like American conservatism anywhere in the world. It's, it's completely unique. And, and it is changing into, because of a tremendous amount of effort and, and rather poor responsibility on our side, and that actually just realized the play on that word, right? The responsibility was what I meant to say, but it is also the responsibility. Words mean the same thing. So, so there's nothing like American conservatism. And when when you want to deal with these people who say, well, the left wingers are this, but the right wingers are the Nazis, and you can just tee them up, right? You can say, um, you can say, okay, let's let's make a checklist: uh, centralized government, powerful centralized government. Communists, yes. Nazis, yes. Democrats, yes. Conservatives, or Republicans, no. Gun ownership. Communists, no. Nazis, no. Democrats, no. Conservatives, yes. And you can go all the way down the list with all of these things. And you and that's actually a very compelling argument because you could do eight or nine of them without even putting too much effort into it. And you can just go down the list and say, Nazi, conser- communist, Nazi, Democrat, all in step, and not only are the Republicans or conservatives not in step, they are antithetical to whatever answers those three parties put up there. But it's a hard thing to explain. Uh, we have a, a, a super chat from Patriot in the Dark who says, will you describe, will you do describe video DVD so us blind guys can get the full experience? I don't know if I entirely understand that, uh, Patriot. Um, please do, do, do not, uh, don't, you don't have to pay for another super chat. If you could just uh, rephrase it, I don't think I can quite, can quite understand it. So anybody who is a, who claims to be a, an American conservative and is an authoritarian is by definition, not a conservative, as I understand the term, the entire idea of, of American conservatism is individual freedom, individual, look, it's, it's real simple. Leave us alone. That's it. That's American conservatism. Leave us alone. And we want to leave you alone. We have no desire to tell you what to do. Um, so, uh, so that's basically it. Oh, subtitles and captioning, Marusha thinks. Um, well, that I don't know if that makes sense. So the blind guys can get the full experience. Uh, okay, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get an answer for that. Describe what's going on in the video. Oh, okay. Um, well, you know, to be honest with you, um, Patriot. I don't really do anything other than talk on these videos unless I'm missing something, right? I mean, virtually everything I do is just as effective on audio only as it is on video. I just I just read stuff. So it's not like I'm doing all kinds of tricks. Oh, I, I know. Like, for example, I, okay, I'm with you. Like on the last one, I said, well, and like this guy, and it was James Comey. Or you need this guy, and it was um, uh, Fauci. Hopefully that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I did that. I don't do that very often. I did it for a dramatic effect. Um, and uh, and since I don't do it very often, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to promise not to do that again. 
as much as I um, deeply appreciate the support and uh, and as much as I'd like everybody to get the message, there comes a time when that just kind of needs to be there. Um, now there are a bunch of other videos that are that are completely different, and um, and I will give that a lot of thought. I'm, I'm I have I have three scripts to deliver by Christmas, and I have another four to finish in January. Um, but I really do want to get the first of these "Don't Be an Idiot" idiot series out. I've been, I talked about them last time. I'm not going to talk about them again. But but I think those would be really interesting, different comment and badly needed because man when i would do things like the uh, what we believe series of the virtual presidency theory series those were designed to ammo up people with information on on what nobody seems to have learned about our country but now the educational system is in such crisis that you know people gen zers can't name three other countries they can't name one other country what's the capital of the united states we have a capital this kind of thing. Um, so, uh, so anyway, I want to get to that. Now, that will have a lot of images in it, and I don't really know what to do about that, to be honest with you. Um, it will still be mean talking nonstop. It's just going to be a lot of um, a lot more pictures. So, in in things like that, what look what I can't do is if I'm if I'm doing something like the um, don't be an idiot about flying, right? And I say, okay, so this is what a, this is what a wing looks like, and, and you'll notice when we increase the angle of attack uh, that that you start to get this turbulent flow, and I can point to that. But what I really can't do is is say what we're seeing is a series of streams of smoke that are going over an airfoil in the air. You, you know, it just comes a point when when I just can't really do that. Um, and I don't I, obviously I know how subtitles work for people who are deaf. I don't know what the what the usual mechanism is for people who are blind other than, I guess, to have some kind of voiceover narration. Um, it's possible. See, I can't even put it on a separate channel. Um, I was playing the bottle cap, wasn't I? Yes, I was. All right, there you go. Um, let me think about that, because I would like to accommodate everybody if I can, and um, and that one's a little a little tricky. Um, and then just back to the end of this thing is, um, can you compare and contrast what case-selected authoritarianism would look like versus our selected authoritarianism? I'm not going to go into RK again, done it a hundred times, but for those of you who are new to the show, R is, is, represents the kind of collectivist thinking and K represents an individualist thinking. And I think on some level to answer your question, Chris, is that K type individualist type authoritarianism is a contradiction in terms it's a it's an oxymoron uh, wolves obviously have their own internal um, hierarchy their own pecking order but wolves are not determined to influence the mass because wolves go where the hell they want to go um, a whole bunch of sheep however are steerable you can you can herd sheep. You can't herd wolves, and so conservative. So and so authoritarianism is not only not something that real conservatives want to impose on other people. It's something they seem to have an extraordinarily short um, temper with when it comes time to have somebody impose it on them. 
If you're a collectivist, on the other hand, you, you realize that you're just another cog in the wheel, and uh, and um, you know if if that's your job to go you know fall off the cliff for the for the greater glory of the state and dear leader, you should be proud and humble. Um, so, uh, but your main point is is really well taken, and we shouldn't let people get away with that because. In Europe, they would say the left are the communists and the right are the Nazis. And here we say the left are the liberals and the rights are the conservatives. And people make that connection. And and that's a problem. It really is. It's a real problem. Uh, I think it was, uh, who was it? Um, tip of my tongue. Uh, that doesn't matter. Somebody described uh, a, a Jonah, uh, is it Jonah Goldberg before he went nuts? He said, talking about Nazism versus conservatism, I'm sorry, Nazism versus communism, he said, those aren't ant antithetical systems. Nazism versus conservatism, I'm sorry, Nazism versus communism is Coke versus Pepsi. We're neither, we're, we're not a cola. Those are two different flavors of cola. And I think he's pretty much got that right. Okay, second time, podcast Artwork update. Bill, how about changing your podcast art as quick as a quick and easy way to help reach a wider audience? Could be as simple as dropping in some artwork you already have. The Patriot at the podium is a dashing fellow, but he might as well be wearing a tricorn hat when the next generation is concerned. Okay, good point. Give the alienated young who stealth listen to your forbidden wrong think some cover by switching to something cool and enigmatic, such as below for maybe one of your spaceport renders as Road Rider suggested. Here's a piece of artwork. And uh, wow, okay, some, some thought went into that. If I really, really wanted to get people's attention just through the thumbnail, and I'm not saying that this is a good idea, but if I wanted to, I have on my phone, I bet I've got 60, uh, and I did hundreds, probably thousands, but, I, but I've got 60, at least 60, images that I created using um, that um, artificial intelligence thing that I was so uh, busy with. You all saw the ones I did on Jack the Ripper, but I've, I've done them on a bunch of subjects, and some of them are just freaking, well, they're just damn disturbing. And and I tried to do something noble, but as I've said before, since this is genuinely, an, it's not so much even an artificial intelligence as it's an alien intelligence, even if you try to go for something, mom and apple pie, it's going to do things in a way that are so unsettling that it's almost impossible to get something that feels good out of um, out of AI images, but things that feel creepy and weird, just need a bucket to haul those things off in. I'll just pick one or two just to show you. Um, I'll get them here. Because, I mean, I've got a bunch. I did a whole Cthulhu kind of series, you know, I was, I was trying to get, um, trying to get that sense of, you know, Cthulhu. I know it doesn't hold up too well on the phone. Um, that kind of thing. But the ones that are really, really, really spooky are the ones that just look pretty real like um for example for example man these things are disturbing man these things are disturbing 
All right, I'll just give you a bunch of them. Isn't that cheerful? And there are people who want this to rule our lives. Yeah, give them control over everything. What, what could possibly go wrong? Um, my favorite one was one guy looked like he was made out of wood. Anyway, you get the idea. So, yeah, if I wanted a, a thumbnail that had nothing to do with anything but really got people's attention, that would, that would, this thing is, it's just, I haven't looked at this in months, but my God, it makes the skin crawl. When I was trying to do something kind of noble, you know, the best I could come up with was something like this. It's a knight. But it's still, it, that's probably the least unsettling of them. Um, yeah, and I think we're back into, uh, yeah. I did actually use one of these. I, did, I used the Mickey Mouse one for, um, for a thing we did on Disney. But other than that, it is... Uh, it's fun. Now, by the way, this is a just a phone app. I've heard, uh, I haven't used it, but there's something online that's considerably more sophisticated and people are getting amazing results out of that. Um, so I will um, I will take a look at that uh, in, in my vast amount of free time. But thanks for the suggestion, Troy Stevens. That's a great idea. Um, I will uh, work in a lot of things to kind of get things uh, revamped here. And I'm just, this, I'm just, this, this, this series that I'm writing, I'm just bleeding out. I mean, it's just, it is so much data and so many stories and so many things going on. So um, it's just, it's killing me. But I'm happy with uh, with what I'm getting, so I guess that's the, the main thing. I think it's going to be a, a, a monster. I think it's going to be a really good series. Uh, and especially this one because I'm just sick and tired of, of hearing Gen Zers or millennials or or, or 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 boomers or whatever for that matter, talking about how great socialism is and how awful capitalism is. I'm going to show them the murder. I'm going to sh and and the set design that we did is there to make sure that you are never comfortable watching this. It, all the time you are just like holy cow. Um, so um, let's see, what we got here. This is uh, Kyle Brandt. Hey, Kyle. Uh, hello, Bill. I just wanted to ask if you'd consider possibly doing a tabletop system for the Colonies universe once it's fleshed out enough to have one. I paid, played a large variety of different systems, never Traveler, though, unfortunately. There are several that are very good, but all of them seem to be going woke, except expecting you to create your own Donald Trump to defeat with your diverse and inclusive cast of characters with division and inclusivity. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, I have a decent range of experience with different systems and would love to see your help with making a colony system sold Kyle uh, sold that sounds really really cool um, can you um, can you uh, come back with this um, when I get this series done when you see me starting to show some stuff from the colonies again because I'm just every moment a hundred times when I wake up in the morning the first thing I think is my god I've got so many scripts right before I go to bed at night it's like my god I just should have gotten more of the scripts done it's just nuts but you know it's it's getting there we're getting through it Sometimes you need, um, in fact, all the time, you need an angle. And the episode on Lenin, I couldn't 
I knew I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about. I had the data. I had the quotes. I had all of the facts. I couldn't find a story that got me into the thing, right? And and I don't want this to be in Apollo and and Civil uh, Cold War, America's Forgotten Heroes. I like to think that none of them were just like in 1846. But it just what's the story, right? What's the story? Am I losing focus? It looks like that, or I'm losing my mind. Um, so I had to find a, a hook. I had to find a, a story. Hang on a second. I think I'm I'm going to see if I can fix that soft uh, focus here. Uh, Real Swamp, which says capitalism unchecked is what we have here. We actually have, what we have here is called mercantilism. Uh, some people call it crony capitalism, but mercantilism is a, is a better term. It's the union of the private sector and the public sector, where the government writes laws to protect big companies, then big companies make large donations to get people to vote for those officials who then go on to do more, make more big laws. Uh, and we talked about this before, but capitalism was a term that was coined by Karl Marx, and it was coined by Karl Marx because it made it sound exclusionary. So uh, there you go. Um, Marusha Dark topic, American Civil War. Bill, correct me if I'm misattributing this, but I believe you said on a previous occasion that you don't think civil war could come to America again because last time the states were split by territory, whereas now they're not. That's was, That was me. Whether that was you or someone else, I've recently been thinking about a way in which we could still get to that point. How, with how our pol with how polarized our country is becoming, you have the red team moving to states like Florida or Texas, and the blue team moving to states like New York or California, in an attempt to get away from each other, not just politically but geographically and personally. Some even go so far as to cut blood bonds with each other over a single issue or symbol, brother against brother. Few people seem to be going back the other way, which will just create a positive feedback loop. Get enough of this movement, and you effectively have that territorial divide along ideological lines, just like in the 1860s, only this time it'll likely be heartland versus the coast. What do you think of my hypothesis? I think I think of your I think your hypothesis is sound, uh, but you still have you've still got an enormous, enormous issue that you didn't have before. It, it was you did not find anybody who was an open abolitionist in the Confederacy. I'm not saying there weren't any, but you didn't you didn't hear them talking out about it. Um, and you had the Mason-Dixon line, and you had that line that had been there for, what, 80 years or something, legally. This part, we need slaves. This part, we don't. And, and people had grown up either in a slave-owning state or in a, in a free state. And so when that war started, nobody had to move anywhere. Now, I understand you've acknowledged that in your question, but for this to really work, you have to move. The huge majority of the population has to be willing to move to get away from this. And, and I don't see anything like that happening yet. There's no question, no question that California is bleeding red uh, and becoming bluer. Um, Jeremy over at Daily Wired corrected me on this. I had thought from the beginning for 10 or 12 years what most people would assume, and that is that the people leaving California for Texas or, or Florida were going to turn Texas into a more liberal place. But what he found out from research was, as it turns out, the people leaving California actually made Texas redder because the people who went to the trouble and, and walking away from California is not easy. People who moved from California to Texas were so conservative that they simply couldn't stand to be here anymore. And I can relate to that boy. So that's a different 
uh, a different thing. Despite that great series that the Babylon Bee did, um, most of the Californians who leave California are people who are leaving California because they're conservative, not liberals who want to go live in a, uh, an economy that works, although sure, surely there must be some of those too. Scratch Paper Games, I'll get back to you, Marcia, says uh, for $10 Super Chat, I run a small home improvement business in Wisconsin, voted for Trump both times, but today hurt. People all around me are working longer and harder, and it just keeps getting worse. Any encouragement? Uh, yes, uh, I, I think I probably do scratch paper games, and maybe I can get to it in this in this question here, because this is kind of a, about that. So hopefully I, hopefully I can get to that for you. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I did not hear anything about Trump releasing trading card NFTs, and everybody is... I saw it in the comment section. And people said, I can't believe Trump did what he did. I had no idea what he did. I haven't seen the news at all today. But NFTs are, it's kind of like promoting cryptocurrency, you know. It's um, its way behind the times, and uh, and it just it's just inappropriate, I think. Anyway, um, so, so to the question. Um, getting people to move, I just... I mean, really, how much, I mean, one, so if, if they win in California, like a, a blue, blue, blue state, right? And let's say that, let's say that, I don't remember what the number, somebody will probably tell me. So let's say that Biden wins California by, you know, let's say really out on a limb, let's go, he says it wins 60 to 40, right? But still 40% of the population is red. That's, that's, you know, it's 20 million, 25 million people. Um, and to expect all of them to get up and move, we got to remember, too, that we take this stuff a lot more seriously than your average bear. Uh, part of that is because we know the consequences better. We're better educated on the history and, and where all this stuff leads. But certainly, if you're watching the show or, or, or you're concerned about it enough to be thinking about moving, then you are a you know political junkie. Actually, as it turns out, it's funny you mention that, because um, in my conversation with the Ubermentalist this morning, he actually had a, a statement that I thought was absolutely perfect and actually kind of pithy. So I, I was talking to him about, um, I was talking to him about, okay, so why is it, what psychological mechanism is going on where anybody can look at the Epstein thing and, and there's no question he was murdered and some people still don't believe that he was murdered. Some people say, no, he must have hung himself during that 12-minute window in the solid-state electronics on the camera went out and then came back on again on its own, right? Some people believe that because they can't face the consequences of, of it being true. But um, he said this. I said, why, why are we taking it? Why, why aren't we doing anything about it? And, and, he, and this is the direct quote. I wrote it right down. He said, because, because people will not make a change until the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying the same. Ba-boom right? The pain of change has to be greater than the pain of staying the same. And that applies to your moving business. Moving is a stressful situation. California is, is paradise in terms of climate. It's, that, that's why all the idiots are here. I've never met stupider people than I met on the, on the beach at Santa Barbara in 2003. And that was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen in terms of climate and sunshine. It was just incredible. You can be really, really stupid in a climate that, that good. Um, but so you, you're talking about 
you know, you're talking about tens of millions in, in terms of country, you're talking about 100, 150 million people that would have to move in order for this split to be viable. So I don't think it's going to come to shooting war. I just think that we're going to continue to see what we're seeing. So you're right about that. People are going to leave the red states, go to the blue, go to the blue states. Nobody's leaving red states to go to blue. But in any event, the the, the as the states get bluer, as conservatives leave blue states, New York's in this package too, and go someplace else, they tend to be the conservatives. That means those states get ever bluer, and then all the other sensible people go, and so on. Now, here in California, there is serious talk about passing a reparations bill. Um, and on a California, state California level. And I'm virtually positive that that would be, that would be the trigger for me, right? It's not them coming to take my guns. If they're taking 13% of my income, uh, you know, to pay reparations, I'm, I don't see how, I don't see how I can stay with that. But then again, you know, I'm not a single guy. I, 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 I get, I get one out of two votes and, um, and I may be Speaker of the House, but I only get one out of two votes. So there you go. Uh, so um, now we, we just, uh, it was Scratch Paper Games was saying, give me some, um, some optimism. Um, I've been thinking about the next firewall that I want to do. Uh, and I've been thinking about this to topic quite a bit. I came up with a name that I like for it. Uh, I want to call it MECO, uh, which most of you know is an acronym for Main Engine Cutoff. Um, and my argument is going to be the reason that you have staging in rockets is because you need a lot of thrust when you're sitting still on the pad and a lot of fuel. So you are just burning fuel like a maniac. Most of the fuel on a Saturn V gets burned off in the first, you know, minute, probably, minute and a half, terms by weight, right? So in order to get this thing off the pad, you have to have all of this thrust and all of this fuel. But once you get up to, this, to a certain point, it's an engineering point, once you get to a certain point, the advantages start to get outweighed by the disadvantages. You're essentially comes to a point where you start pulling dead weight. Right, And even though you're going to shove those engines into the ocean, you can't get there otherwise. So once you burn through two-thirds of this rocket, which is the first stage, 60% anyway, once that's, that stage is out of fuel, you drop it. So that means that the second and third stages and the, and the capsule don't have to carry that first stage weight around. It just drop it. Staging. This is the only way to do it. Same thing with the second stage. By this point, you're even higher, even faster. We don't need the dead weight from the second stage anymore. Goodbye. Third stage on, I'm talking about the uh, Saturn V, third stage goes into orbit, third stage pushes you towards the moon, and then you turn around, pull the limb out, and then the third stage disappears. And, and you got 365 feet of a Saturn V, and all of that is to get that tiny, tiny, tiny little capsule back home. That's all. That's all that comes home. Um, so this is what my, um, what my uh, thing's about to be about. Now, I'm going to get right back to this, but we have a uh, super chat from uh, Tuesday Scavenger, and I'm determined not to miss these if we can help it. I've been a long-time fan since college. Wow, thank you. Are you reading any of Stephen Kotkin's books to form a material on socialism, level of detail, i.e. Stalin's own margins notes, 
really bring the pettiness of Soviet evil to life. I have not read Stephen Kotkin's book, but I have read just about everything else. Uh, yeah, Stalin liked to make notes in books, and some of this stuff is just... All of the communists were grown children, and, and, and the original group didn't have two or three years of even primary school education. So anyway, uh, yes, I, I'll see if I can look him into but but be honest with you, um, Tuesday, uh, I'm already over-researched this thing. I've got too much information, and it's getting to the point where, um, or if I read anything else, it's just going to slow me down more. Uh, a num number of people are saying, when I was talking about staging, that Elon Musk changed the game when he recovered the rocket booster. He did. He completely changed the game, totally changed the game. Now when I think, when, when I saw Ares, you know, when I saw um, Artemis go off, it's like, oh, there go four engines that were reusable. We're just going to chuck them in the ocean now, I guess. Just ridiculous. So here's, so how does this work politically, right? And how does this do anything to maybe make you feel some hope? So I'm going to take that analogy of staging, and I want to apply it to society specifically to American society. So the command module on the top is the idea, right? On the command module on the top with an escape tower, that's where this whole idea of individualism, constitution, republic, this ideal image of America, that's in the capsule on the very top of this rocket. And where we are now is I'm increasingly beginning to think that we are now, actually I was going to make, make this point in the middle of the video. Right now, the country, as a country, is at max Q, maximum dynamic pressure. Um, when a rocket goes up, it starts out in thick air, and by the time it gets into orbit, there's no air at all. But it also starts out slow. So max Q is the point the rocket is accelerating, accelerating, accelerating. That's increasing air pressure on the rocket, but at the same time, the air is getting thinner, and that's decreasing air pressure on the rocket. So there is a point where it is now moving fast through relatively thick air, and that is when the peak aerodynamic stresses are. Before this, it's going faster. After this, the air is getting thinner. So that's max Q. And that's kind of where it feels like we are right now as a country. Like, we're, we're at max Q. Once you get through max Q, it's time to drop the first, the first stage. And that's most of the rocket. And what I mean by that is... I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced that, the, that the, the damage that is done is so severe and the weight of carrying these progressive ideas is so overwhelming. By carrying them, I mean living with their policies and trying to overcome them, that I think it's time to just take progressivism and all of this trans stuff and all, all of this garbage and it's just time to cut it loose. Goodbye. You can... If you want to go crash in the ocean, that's probably where you're going to end up. Not my problem. We're going, right? When the Apollo command module, Apollo 11 command module is in the Smithsonian Institution, you know where the Apollo 11 first stage is? Who cares, right? Who cares? We threw it away. It doesn't matter. We threw it away. Now, I don't have an answer to this yet, but I've, in other words, I don't have a, I know where I want to go. I just know how to get there. Um, and maybe you can't get there from here. But if you think about it in terms of society, we've got all of this dead weight. These are people that don't work, don't want to work. They are astonishingly ignorant. They're astonishingly um, uh, servile, complacent, complicit. Uh, and, 
And if we try to save them, if we, if we put our efforts into trying to change their minds, I suspect we're going to find ourselves in that situation where we're trying to do single stage to orbit and there's just not enough power and we go down into the ocean with it. I am really starting to think now that it's time to, it's not cut our losses. And I don't want anything bad to happen to people. It's just like, I'm tired of arguing with them and I'm tired of dealing with dishonest people. I'm tired of having to pay all of these taxes. I'm tired of all these regula regulations. I think it's time for the people who get the message to drop that first stage and just go off on their own. Now, the question is, how do you do that? Right? How do you do that? Comes back to Marusha's question. In an, uh, let me. So I think I think what Marusha was saying is you get everybody to move, and then you've got states that are one way and states that are another way. I think what's probably going to happen is that the state will come first. If Texas, if Texas secedes from the union, I'm moving to Texas. If Oklahoma does it. It doesn't matter. I'm going, right? So it's like it's like the political. Th it, it's not a question of people move and then the politics change. It's like almost like that politics have to change so that people are willing to move. Like I I want to get out of California because of the politics. I want to stay here very much because of the weather, the scenery, and all that stuff. But the main reason I haven't moved is because wherever I go will certainly be better. But will it be? fundamentally different you know i mean i'm still going to have to deal with the, the federal income tax still going to have to deal with federal regulations and so on if on the other hand if a state were to leave the union now it's a whole nother ball game and if that happened i think the most independent minds would move to that place and and within five years that state whatever it is even if it's rhode island that state would have a greater gdp than the united states in five certainly in 10 years because all of the all of the innovators, all of the hard workers, all of the entrepreneurs, all the people who want to be left alone so they can create other things will be gone. Now, um, I married a woman from Siberia, so that means I'm never going to be able to live anywhere cold, which is fine. I never have, and I'm sure I take it for granted. Um, uh, Spanky says, Bill, come to southern Utah. St. George is beautiful and warm. I, I, I'm sure it is. And there are many other places that I liked very much. Um, but so really what I'm saying is, yes, the push out of California is, is heavy and increasing, but there's no real pull, right? The, the only pull is to get away from the push. But if there was a pull, like not only if you were living in someplace much better, would you still want to move here? Um, did I forget Eric's super chat? I, I, I really have a real problem with these super chats. I really do. Um, this is why I didn't want to uh, do them in the first place. Um, I, I didn't get it. So now I feel like I've uh, stolen some money from somebody. I didn't see it. I didn't get it. I don't know how to find it. Uh, G.K. Masterson says uh, states can't leave the union. The Civil War settled that. However, they might can be invited to leave. Okay. Well, and another one for uh, $2 from Stu Sasser. Mid Journey version four is amazing AI. I will check that out. Thanks. I like Idaho very much. You get the idea. I, I got I to gotta stop looking at these things and, and try and catch as many as I can because if I had a producer, this would be a different story, and I don't. Um, 
Political Animal says, Bill, are you living under a rock? Common sense is the pull to red states. Yes, that's true. It is. Common sense pulls me to Florida. But I lived in Florida for 25 freaking years, okay? And I have no desire to go back to Florida. None. I grew up with the mosquitoes. I grew up with the humidity. I grew up with the heat. I grew up with the flat, boring, straight, swampy, smelly mess. I spent 25 years there. Right. And now I come out here to a place that's air conditioned outside. I've got mountains. I've got ocean. I've got all of this tremendous stuff. It's not just a question of, gee, the logical choice is to go there. I'm well aware that that's the logical choice. There is a lot about here that I like. And if I met, if I went back to Florida, most importantly, this hair would go away. I'd be, I'd be wearing that same freaking brown pom pom I wore my entire life. No, thank you. Uh, I will, um, I will do my best. Uh, but I'm sure there is a point when it will overcome all of that. Um, and Eric Gotts says very nicely, no worries, Bill, I send super chats for you to get funding, not to hear my ideas read back to me. Love from Brisbane. Uh, uh, Anya, Aussie, thank you very much, Eric. Um, okay, so so we got, the, we got the staging idea. So how do you actually pull that off? Um, Rob Ross for a super chat says, Eric said the West isn't a place, it's a people with a culture. Perhaps it's time to migrate that people to a new to new shores. Yes. This is the issue. If there were a freer country in the world, I would move there. But there isn't. And so you're left with the question of, well, then how do we recover this one? Well, the staging argument says you can't carry that weight it's just it just can't it's just too heavy it's too much you've got to cut it loose so what do you do about that obviously if you found a place that um if a state were to leave the union yes it's true the civil war proved that it, it it's proved that it's not legal but it's funny how war solves things right uh but put that aside however it were to happen then it would be pull and a push and I'd go and I'll tell you something else this is why uh, I'm I'm kind of limited in my choices because I'm married now um, but if if it were up to me and they said we're going to take Alaska out of the union or we're going to colonize Antarctica I'd go I would go live in Antarctica It'd be like much easier than living on the moon or Mars and I was willing to do that wherever it is if you could go someplace to get away from all this, I'd go. And so would millions of other people. And the people who would go would be the people who would you want to be around, right? So I don't know how this works exactly. There's a, there's a, a possible way to think of it in terms of a, of a virtual community, you know, where even though, even though the payload is dispersed all across the United States geographically, Virtually, they could be working together. That's got a bit of the common sense resistance feel to it, where you are only going to do business with people who you know to be trustworthy, honorable people, and you just ditch the rest of them. Um, and uh, and um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. But I do know. I do feel strongly that I cannot see a way to argue our way back. To argue our way back to sanity, right? That's what I. That's what I. I just don't see how that happens. Um, how, how the damage is so deep, and 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 in many cases, especially with the educational system, and 
the IQ drop, it's, that is irreparable. This is not news or anything, but every day more and more information, more data comes in saying that it was the kids who were in third grade, all of them who were in, in schools that had masks and were shut down for a year and then had to wear a mask, all of them took a big development hit. But the third graders, because it's that particular time in their life, are, are just really, really, really going to suffer for the rest of their lives, right? They're like 15 IQ points down, and all of their social bonding skills that happen at that age have been taken away from them because of, because of somebody's theory, because of the theory of the guy who had an awful lot to do with creating this freaking disease. At the very least, he was on very good personal terms with the people who, who, who released it. There's no question about that, right? He knocks on the door, Fauci knocks on the door in the Wuhan weight loss clinic. If he, if he knocks on the door in the Wuhan virology lab, they're going to let him in. And he's going to know where to go, and they're going to know who he is. So these people are clearly willing to do whatever it takes. And, and, and that's their big advantage, is their ruthlessness. And, and not just ruthlessness. This is talking about a lot of, a lot of people have compared Stalin to Lenin. I see that quite a lot, but I think that's, I just don't think that's good. I think you need to compare, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a lot of people have compared Stalin to Hitler. That comparison is made a lot. I think the comparison is to make between Lenin and Hitler. Uh, let me see. Uh, Monk in Training says, uh, hi, Bill, big fan. I know I showed up late, but are we talking about the Saturn V as a metaphor for national divorce? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, I'm calling it staging, um, Monk. I'm, I'm saying that basically the country has become so much of the country. I don't think it's most of it. I really don't. But so much of the country is irreparably brainwashed and damaged that to spend the effort to try and turn them around is ultimately a failing proposition. It's time to cut the first stage off. Dump the dead weight. I don't want anything bad to happen to the dead weight, but it's not my problem anymore. I'm not going down with them. That's what I'm trying to say, right? And all of this stuff with the um, with the Saturn V, all of that stuff got thrown away just to get that command module back on the ground in one piece. Everything else is expendable. So it's a it's a thought, and it bears some some serious thinking and especially a lot of brainstorming. So I don't have the answer to that. But I do know that if some place were to basically say, hey, look, uh, we, we believe in absolute freedom here and we have sovereign identity, you know, and, and, and you can come here and not pay any federal taxes and, you, and everything you believe in as an American is our law here. Uh, so there you go. Okay, here's another one. On a related note to arrested child social development, a few meta studies just came out that shows a high correlation between autism and gender dysphoria. Yes, obviously. And this gender dysphoria thing is being created because impressional children want attention. This generation, especially, the new generation, I talked about this today with Zoe. I talked about the difference between, um, um, oh, come on, purpose and objectives. Um, so... Uh, I can't keep track of these things. I, I just can't do this anymore with these super chats. I just can't. I can't let them go by, and I can't keep jumping off of. I just can't do it. Your people, your people in internal exile, Americaners, if you will. Your country has been conquered and colonized. Not trying to be mean. My country has been too. The progressive Borg have invaded and won. They have invaded, and they have. Uh, 
done a lot of damage. I'm not convinced they've won, and I'm not convinced they can win. These people are, are idiots, and when they're not idiots, they're, they're delusional. Those don't have to be exclusive. Most of them are delusional idiots. But reality strikes a chord. I've been watching um, a number of, uh, of videos lately, um, and, and a bunch of them have been talking about this. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it was called, I don't know it was an episode of Survivor. I think it was called The Island, Bear Grylls thing. Okay, he got, in season one, he got a lot of complaints because he's only picking men to go out and do these survival things. So in season two, they take 14 men and 14 women to these two islands, and they just leave them there for six weeks. And, um, and the results are exactly what you would expect them to be. And behind the scenes, the producers are handing the women everything they possibly can, right? Every, they, 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 they get medical intervention like four times, you know, and they would, they would basically send trained piglets to walk into their camp. And the women went, oh my God, they're so cute. And they named them, you know, amber and, 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 and sapphire or something like that. And, and they, they're brushing their hair, these little piglets. They're brushing their hair and they're sleeping with them, right? And meanwhile, the men are over there catching crocodiles, killing them for, for food and so on. So the reason I bring this up is because when you say the left wins, the, the left only wins when they've got the right to, to, to turn on their electricity and keep their water flowing. They don't win otherwise. I was walking into lunch today. Same thing. I've been thinking about this a lot. I've said it a few times. I would much rather, much rather watch engineers put on a version of, of uh, Hello, Dolly than drive over a bridge that's designed and built by actors. Right? These things are not equivalent in terms of brass tacks. Uh, the tribe, the pink tribe and the gray tribe are very different, and it's nice to have them both, but... When push comes to shove, look, let's just say we were able to do it, right? What, what we've been talking about for the last hour, half hour. Let's just say that all the conservatives were elite California, all of them. Who's going to, who's going to run the electricity? Who's going, to, who's, going to, who's going to forget things like garbage disposal and stuff? Who's going to keep the electricity going? Who's going to keep the water going? Who's going to do any of those things? Those people are gone. They're out of here. Where the, who's going to grow their food? The farmers are gone. They're out of here. Fishermen are gone, and they're out of here. All the people that produce stuff are gone. They're, they're out of here. And all you're left with is, um, is a... Uh, Mike's a little out. Yeah. All you're left with is... I'm not calling them dreck or anything. It's just they're, what's left is luxury people, right? They're either people that are on assistance or... They're people who, who do things, and, and they're, they do them very well, and they're nice to have, but they are essentially luxury jobs. Actor is a great example, right? Uh, actor, movie star is a great example. Those are luxury positions. And we've got so much luxury now that now we have things like influencers, which means that you have tremendous control over people, and you don't even have to have any talent. You don't. It's, they didn't come to you because of your writing. Didn't come to you because of anything. They came to you because you're you're good looking and you know how to run the algorithm and you know how to make content that doesn't do anything other than get people to click it. You don't learn anything from these TikToks. You just plain get stupider. All of those people, they're they're all first stage material. You know, goodbye. They're on the sea arc. They're they're there with the phone sanitizers. Um, so. 
I, I'm convinced that 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 the solution. Look, America, the United States is too big. It's not too big in terms of geography, but the government is so big, where you where where the military can't. Was it how much was it? Was it two trillion or twenty trillion? Trillions and trillions of dollars are gone. Thousands of billions of dollars have gone. That doesn't happen in a neighborhood, right? That doesn't happen at um, at at you know at the bank in Bedford Falls. It doesn't happen. When you get something of this size, not only do your errors get larger, which means your waste gets larger, 2.1 trillion, yeah. 2.1 thousand billion dollars is unaccountable, unaccounted for rather. That's too big, right? If you can get away with, with, with that kind of thievery and not get noticed, it's too big. It's not that it's too liberal. It's not that it's too conservative. It's not that it's too this. It's just too big. It's 300 million, 330 million people who, who generate an incredible amount of, of revenue and an incredible amount of, of, of innovation. And there are people who, and Dinesh D'Souza was on this 10 years ago. There are people who are on this and say, as a parasite, this is the ultimate host mechanism, host organism, rather. Dinesh D'Souza opened his book, I think it was Hillary's America, I'm not sure, where he said, if you are a criminal, if you're criminally inclined, what, what is the most, I mean, if you're in the business of stealing things, what is the most valuable thing in the world? If you're going to steal something, you might as well go for the most valuable thing in the world. What is the most valuable thing in the world? And he said, the most valuable thing in the world is the private property owned by American citizens, $72 trillion. That's the single most valuable thing in the world in terms of dollars. So that's exactly what they're working on. Why do you think that, that Klaus Schwab says nobody will own anything and everybody will be happy? They'll give us our little food pellets and our algae cakes and our, and our insects to eat, and they'll keep the Netflix coming, and, you know, and we'll get state-sponsored vacations just like in the USSR, and we'll take crummy buses or crummy ships to crummy places with millions of other people and and we'll get down on our knees and thank them and that is not how i want to live in the comment section on both sides we're getting everybody saying i want to live in, in galt's gulch i do too that's the entire theory behind the the staging concept right we we want to separate ourselves out and by the way the reason we want to separate ourselves out is because we're descended from people who separated themselves out. My family was coal miners and mill workers in northern England. And my grandfather said, um, I think that's enough. We're going someplace. We're, we're going to go to this place that everybody's talking about. Well, you're going to leave your house. You're going to leave all your family, your relatives. Yep, yep, we're just going to do it. Risk takers were self-selected to come here. Now here we are. The country's going the same way that any other place that gets overcrowded and overregulated, and we just want to go someplace else and leave these people behind. And if we were, if we had a place to go to, we could pull this off and we'd get another 50 to 100 years out of it. At that point, then they would continue to come and suck off the, you know, the success and the prosperity, the security, the safety, the friendliness, all this stuff that conservatives generate. And then we'd have to move somewhere else. It's like it's like you're, you're constantly on the run 
to be left alone, right? That's all you want. You just want to be left alone and, and, and qualify that. Yes, left alone. I understand that there is some money necessary for a government. Somebody said to ask me a question once, what's the ideal tax rate? I thought, that's a good question. Federal tax, income tax, what's the ideal tax rate? I said, I don't know if it needs to be an income tax, but what? that's a good question. What is the number that you need? You know, in a in a in an uh, abstract sense, and the only thing I could think of was, you need to raise enough money, so that the, so that the um, that the uh, departments that are outlined in the Constitution have enough money to frugally and yet thoroughly perform their assigned duties, and that's all, right? EPA, gone. Department of Energy, gone. Department of Transportation, gone. All it. Goodbye. Gone. All of the um, the so-called non-discretionary sending, all of that stuff, gone. You still have to take care of those people. And I'm not saying just leave them out there to die, but as a bureaucracy, gone. So what are you left with? Well, you're left with the military. That's a legitimate government expense. You're left with um, things like inter interstate highways, things like that. But... Everything else goes, and, and we don't have to pay for it. And in a, it's almost impossible to believe if it hadn't been proven here. When Ronald Reagan was the governor of California, California could genuinely offer free college to California residents because the state of California was running a surplus, and the state was making money lending out the surplus money that it had. And just think about that for a minute. Instead of having a, a, a 25 30 trillion, $35 trillion deficit, right? How different would life be if we had a $35 trillion surplus? How much revenue would that, would that create? That would create more revenue than they could spend ever in a year. There wouldn't have to be any taxes again ever, right? There's just this giant pile of money that people would borrow and they'd pay back with interest and you'd run it on a profit. And then, and then you would have, then you could actually have free stuff, right? Because you're not, you're not bucking the laws of, economics you're, you're you're rolling with them yeah we have a we have a huge hunk of capital here how much would you like okay reliable source yes here you go and not only not only do you continue to run the government as a profit but you also have enough capital so that you can let people borrow money to do really cool things like spacex or whatever the case may be right um so yes and marusha dark points out it was a i guess it was um uh, what's his name? Uh, the Frenchman who was here for the uh, revolution. Uh, he said a democracy can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves largesse from the public treasury. Right. Once somebody realizes they can vote themselves money, it's game is over. And the Democrats are not only enabling that, they're, they're advertising it. Um, Rob Ross for $20 says, here's the real problem. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people's wholly inadequate to the government of any other, that's John Adams. Good point, Rob. So what do you do about that? Can you enforce morality on, on people who are complete degenerates? No. The Tocqueville. You cannot. You cannot enforce morality on people who, who, who won't accept it. Uh, Drew, no, I'm not. Drew, I used to be. Um, you cannot force them to be virtuous people. And they've been so badly corrupted, it's not their fault, but they've been so badly corrupted by the system now, intentionally, that they're irrecoverable. 
And the nice thing about the staging thing, by the way, is if you want to get on the rocket and keep going, you know, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your religion is. It's an idea. It's open to anybody. I would much, 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 much rather hang out with a guy who, who's a janitor and takes his job seriously and takes pride in it than with any university professor who, who is convinced that this place is, is, a, is a living hell. I, I, it's, just not, it's not even a question for me. I would just, here's, here's, you want to get on the rocket? Here's what it takes. We're going to work hard. We're going to take care of each other, but we're not going to carry each other. If you, if you, if you sprain an ankle or break a leg, we'll help you until it heals. If you have your legs blown off, then we'll carry you for the rest of time because that's what we do. We're not like these freaking Harfoots and, you know, uh, rings of power. But if you are being carried and you don't need to be, we have zero tolerance for that. You either stop doing that or, or you know, get off the rocket. Um, so all of this to say that it's a philosophy and, and the execution of this, I don't know how to do. I do know that there are at least, at least, at least tens of millions of Americans who are on the on the on the rocket, right? Tens of millions, probably a hundred million, and conceivably two hundred million. But the ones that are the ones that are the the dead weight are getting more numerous and heavier every day. They're not only more of them; they're getting dumber and dumber and dumber. And they're doing what we're running away from. I don't care what these people do. It doesn't make any difference to me. It's probably almost, I'm sure you all agree, right? We started off talking about authoritarianism. I'm not an authoritarian. I, is, I'm not an authoritarian. I don't care what trans people want to do. And I don't care if trans people want to talk to other trans people, have their own pronouns. It's not on my business. I don't care. But they will not leave us alone. They will not leave us alone. We must take a knee to, to whatever they say it is, even if it's these bizarre freaking fantasies, and they cannot be happy until that happens. And now it's time when you start talking about, okay, now you're at the point where we're not going to let you sink this lifeboat. So either swim away or we're going to bat you over the head with yours. Because we know that what you're bringing here is the destruction of what, of what we've got and what we're, what we're essentially running away from. I've often wondered, you know, and this would require a lot more argument, this would require somebody with such reach. I think the only person I can think of who, right now who, who has the, the reach would be Elon Musk. But if you had somebody with that kind of visibility, and I'm not putting this on Elon and I'm not, you know, glorifying him any more than I have to because I think what he's done has been astonishing. Not, I get more astonished every day. I think the Twitter thing has impressed me almost as much as, um, as SpaceX. But if Elon Musk were to say, and, and by the way, he doesn't have to say this to Americans either. He can say this to the whole world. If Elon Musk can say, were to stand up and say something like, look, if you work hard, doesn't matter what the job is, if you work hard, take pride in your work, and you, and you give it your all, if we took every one of those people who agree with this and took their capital in addition to my capital, what could we buy? What could we buy? And when I say buy, I don't mean lease, and I don't mean be a colony of like Jonestown. I mean, what could you actually buy that would be sovereign as a nation, right? What could you buy? Um, I bet you could buy something, you know? I bet you could buy something. 
And and then you get into all kinds of stuff that's kind of fun. Who goes with you? You know, if if Texas were to secede from the Union, then I'm assuming that everything in the Texas National Guard stays in Texas. And then you're back to where we started this whole thing from with Marusha's question, right? You've got the middle of the country that is solid. You've got the you've got the coasts that are that are utterly decaying. My primary concern with that, because it's a swath that goes from Idaho diagonally down to Florida, right? That's the heartland. That's red America. And my initial concern with that was, even if you were to take that out of the Union, do you have enough seaport area? Do you have enough uh, access to the ocean? And I, I realized, well, with Texas, you got the Gulf of Mexico, and that's significant. But with Florida, you get you get the Atlantic Ocean. You get you get all of it. Um, you don't have Pacific access, and that's a real problem. Real problem. But you never know. Um, and I remember being so disappointed because somebody had told me that not too long ago, Texas stopped the procedure where every time they would call the legislature, new legislature, it was required that the first topic of discussion was whether or not to stay in the union. I don't know the details of this, but I've heard that that's true. And I've also heard that they don't do that anymore. And that's kind of like Google taking off the don't be evil from their um, corporate mission state. Uh, all right. Well, not only are we not going to get to Facebook, I'm, I'm about running out of voice here. Let me see what we got. I'm Mama. I'm just going to have to get a couple of them and, and, and ask you to post them again next week. Sorry about that. How about if I do um, uh, two more here, okay? Because then I'm, then I'm kind of done. Um, Cody Fett, uh, Bill asking this question, have you, again asking this question, have you heard what's happened to Twitter in other countries? I have not. If you haven't, the mass firing of nearly every overseas employee has left the trending pages on the global stage and in specific countries bereft of political topics. As an example, in Japan, the second biggest Twitter user base, had a trending page full of the most politically charged and divisive topics you can imagine, but the instant that the Twitter offices were cleared out, all those topics disappeared and were replaced by inoffensive pop culture topics that one might have discussed around the proverbial water cooler 20 years ago. There was also a lot of secondary stuff like a feminist journalist complaining that she couldn't update the rending tag anymore if you want to look into it, blah, blah, blah. But that's interesting. This raises another serious question that needs addressing. Are political actors like us living in a false reality created by social media companies to sell clicks? Also an excellent point. And if you're up for it, another question on Twitter, it's clear the ESG stuff uh, was an attempt to reduce the wokeness insisted on by college grads to a quantifiable number that the corporate executives could put on a line graph. Yeah, and also be shown to comply so that they don't get, you know, boycotted or, or burned to the ground. It's also clear that they expected the money to go, the money to line up. It's also clear that they expected the money line to go up in correlation to the woke line. But as the woke line has gone up, the money line has gone down. Of course, they're stuck with that because they just can't fire these woke employees. That would be racist, or can they? Do you think Elon has started another trend here? Facebook sure is firing a lot of people. Yes. Um, Crispy Mofo says, I could have bought Star Wars and made an effing profit, Bill. Uh, I have no doubt. 
but it's gone now. Star Wars is a great example of, of, of the staging idea. Star Wars is, is irreparably damaged. It's not coming back. Marusha says, what Elon's done with Twitter is the turning point in the culture war. It's our D-Day. I personally agree with this. When it became clear that Elon Musk was not only going to buy Twitter, he was going to do the things that we hoped that he would do, and he's done more than I hoped he would do. Him, him restoring Donald Trump and 60,000 accounts and, and stuff, that to me was he's restored free speech. When he opened up the internals to the public in order to in order to increase or, or recover confidence in Twitter, he is releasing now legal evidence. He's releasing actionable evidence. And whether, it, whether the federal government acts on it or not, I think there is plenty of cases for, for personal lawsuits, uh, not against Twitter, against the people that did it. Um, C.P. Tome says, this is why we need to protect Elon. That was my right angle topic for the week. You know, when Elon Musk calls out Klaus Schwab by name, uh, I'm on board with me, with Elon Musk. Anybody who calls this guy out as a as a fraud and a tyrant, he passes my test, and 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 the whole Mars thing just a cherry on top of that for me. Um, and I'm convinced that's the main driver for Elon Musk. The reason he wants to go to Mars is because he wants to get away from these people. That's it. Um, so. Um, so he's releasing evidence. These internal emails are, are legal evidence. That's real impressive. And, and the question is, does it apply to other things? Facebook is, is going under. And Facebook is not going under because of Elon Musk. Facebook is going under because, because Jeff Zuckerberg is such an Asperger's poster child. He's so inhuman. He's so unlike regular people that he came up with the idea of Facebook, although he, he basically partnered in it, and I've heard stories say he just basically stole it, but whatever. So while, so while Facebook is growing, 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 you've got this guy with pretty advanced autism, I would say, using his computer nerd skills to grow the company, and Facebook becomes enormously powerful and popular. It's rated at a trillion dollars, I want to say. And now its stock is down 70%. It's the biggest decline of any stocks that are being traded publicly. I, so Mark Zuckerberg did this because he personally is convinced that people will go into this metaverse of his and this metaverse is the most appalling even if the graphics were good they, they look like they're from 1993 but even if they were great graphics even if they were ready player one graphics Nobody wants to spend their lives wearing these bloody headsets, walking around with these devices in their hands. Zuckerberg is out there actually advertising this, and I saw him do it. He says, just think, you'll be able to walk through a virtual shopping, uh, uh, work through a, a virtual supermarket, and, um, and, and you'll be able to pick up cans and grab them and put them into your, into your, um, into your cart, and then you'll be able to check out, and then the stuff will be delivered, and he's what he's doing is he's promoting this so severely. He's bro he's bankrupted his company to make this thing happen. It's not going to happen because the only person that wants to live in a world like that is Zuckerberg, is a guy who cannot handle real people. He is convinced personally, emotionally, that the future is living in this virtual world because he doesn't like being around people and he's very bad with them. And so he thinks that everybody else wants what he wants because Facebook proved that that was the case. He has destroyed the company. 
even the people that are writing the code for, for Metaverse are saying, this is just bad. It's just awful. It's awful. Um, I did not see Zuckerberg on Rogan. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and by the way, right, by the way, here's the other thing about, about Zuckerberg and, and Gates and all the rest of these, these tech guys. They are the guys that engineer the tech, right? They engineer the tech and the software, but they don't, they don't live in online communities. In other words, they provide the technological tools for people to have online communities, but they're not a part of them. And, and, and so I have no doubt that Zuckerberg knows what the term griefer means, but I'd also be willing to bet you that he has never had to deal with griefers. And when they opened up this thing for the first time on a test run, a woman who had a, a female um, avatar was gang raped in the metaverse by guys just bumping up against her, you know, just gang raped her. Well, obviously, they didn't genuinely rape her, but but they basically made life absolutely unbearable for that person. She couldn't, she couldn't even walk around, right? Well, that's not right. Of course, it's not right. They're griefers. And they can. the reason they do it is because there's no consequences, right? If they were to do this to somebody in the real world, then they would be shipped off to jail where they belong. But no, they didn't. They There, there is no consequences. Griefers in, in Star Citizen could ram your ship and blow it up because it wouldn't cost them anything. If, if it turned out in real life that you could keep using suicide bombs, if I walked into a place and detonated a suicide bomb, and not only there were no legal consequences, but then I got to regenerate again immediately, well... You know, it's just nuts. He is insane. So that's Facebook. Uh, Crispy Mofo, 1776. Uh, oops, uh, meant everyone else could be bought, which means I must have missed one. Yep, I did. Uh, Crispy Mofo said it had to be Elon because no one else could be bought. Uh, and he meant everyone else could be bought. It's I actually don't think it's bought. Um, I don't think it's that Elon couldn't be bought, Crispy. I think it's that Elon could do the buying. All my life, I've been told that freedom isn't free. All my life. And I know what that means, and you know what it means. And freedom isn't free. Freedom costs $42 billion. That's what freedom costs. Any questions? If he was not the richest man in the world, this we wouldn't be having this discussion. It's not what he, it's not what he, it's not what he owes, or it's not that the, the people don't have control over him. It's that he has the means to do the right thing. Everybody with a conscience wants to do the right thing, and some of them try to do the right thing, but only the richest man in the world tries to do the right thing, does commit to doing the right thing, and has the resources to actually pull it off against some very big forces. So, yes. Um, oh, Andrew DeLay says uh, uh, Second Life had a massive uh, griefer, griefer problem, and they were constantly fighting it. It was an obvious problem. So my point is he doesn't take that into account. It just Well, they won't do that. Well, yes, they will. He doesn't, he doesn't understand the world he's building. He just wants to live there. So Facebook is done. Anybody who thinks that we're not well past peak Facebook is out of their mind. So will, will the Twitter rules extend over to Facebook? I suspect not. Will they extend to the real player, Google? I suspect not. Not on their own. They're not going to change on their own. However, however, Proving that Twitter suppressed the story means that Twitter is not a carrier. They are, an, they are a publisher. 
The argument is the reason that there's a Twitter and a YouTube and a Facebook, the reason these things exist is because of a legal ruling that was made several years ago that basically said if you have no control over the content, you are simply a rep, uh, you're, you're simply a depository, right? We simply, people upload their videos to us and we simply play it back and we do, you know, civic duty in terms of no child porn and everything, but we don't editorialize. We're just a carrier. That's the argument that they use and that's why if I post a clip from a Disney movie, Disney could conceivably sue me, but they can't sue YouTube, right? Because YouTube is just a carrier. We say we don't, we don't, we don't have, we don't have a game. We just, we're just a place where shelf where people put things. Okay, that's their legal protection. Elon Musk is releasing legal evidence showing that Twitter was a publisher. They were making editorial decisions. They were not a, an uninterested, unbiased. Uh, non-active carrier they were publishing they were they were they were using this platform to exert their political will and that violates the terms of agreement that they operate that, that, that violates the legal terms that they operate under now that's my hope right i don't think that youtube is going to suddenly change its mind and be like free speech but and i don't think elon's got the money to buy youtube i don't think he has the desire either but but he could be, and I think he has, released enough evidence for the United States Congress, and God, you know, I just think about this last election, it just makes me want to weep. But at least with the House, you can launch congressional investigations into this stuff. You can subpoena evidence, right? And you, and you can subpoena enough evidence to show that YouTube is also a publisher and then you can make a serious threat to revoke their carrier status. And if they revoke their carrier status, they go out of business. YouTube cannot survive without the protection of being a carrier. If it's decided that YouTube is a publisher and YouTube is responsible as YouTube for anything that goes up on YouTube, how many copyright violations go up on YouTube a day? 10 million? 100 million? They'll be legally responsible for all of that. They're publishing it. They're not carrying it. They're publishing it. So that's my hope for this, right, is to, is to say that, that and, and that's actually a good point, Roadrider says build a case for two years from now. Okay, uh, yeah, if it takes two years, it takes two years, but the fact that you can now, at least now, you can, you can do things in the House. Who was it that, um, it was Rand Paul. I think virtually positive it was Rand Paul, who was confronting, I think it was probably confronting Fauci, that's, that's just fun to watch. And I remember one time, because it got pretty heated a bunch of times, and I think Rand Paul said to, to one of these guys, was Fauci or Zuckerberg or one of them, or maybe one of the FBI guys, something like that. He said, listen, when we come back, we're going to have a majority in the Congress, and things are going to be different. When we come back, right, we're going after you. Ah, love it. Now, I know Rand Paul's a senator, but nevertheless. Um, so... That is a is a is a ray of hope, you know, is that if they can prove it happened to Twitter, and the only way you could prove it happened to Twitter would be, be if would be if you had access to the internal documents, which Musk is distributing. He's putting out a lot of evidence. You could make you can make a, a, a good case. You make a, an airtight case for them not being a carrier. You take their status away. This is the thing, right? Let's just be crystal clear about this, okay? 
YouTube, take YouTube as an example. YouTube cannot exist as a publisher. YouTube, if it is, if it is ruled that YouTube is a publisher and is responsible for everything that goes up on YouTube, YouTube goes out of business overnight, right? That's it. If that ruling were to come down, if, if that ruling were to say, no, you are, in fact, acting as a publisher, so make up your mind and do one or the other, then Google and YouTube would have no choice but to stop the censorship. Because if they didn't, they would be a publisher, and if they're a publisher, they're out of business. So I find that to be hopeful. But are, are they going to just change, you know, because because they're suddenly saw the light? No, of course not. They're 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 night dwellers. They're bottom dwellers. They're punks, and they need to control the information because nobody wants to buy what they're selling. And that's you know, by the way, that's how communism works, right? Why are communist products so crappy? Why was everything that the Soviet made such junk? was such junk because that was all there was. There was no competition. That's why it was junk. And that's what they do with information. They can sell junk information because there's no other place to go and get information. Unless you're willing to do the work that Republicans or conservatives are willing to do all the time. Marusha with a super chat. Uh, one of Elon's children is apparently trans and he blamed neo-Marxists for it. Yeah, well, I bet he did too. Well, I don't think that's the only reason he's declared wokeness to be the enemy, number one. That's certainly got to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to follow that kid for the rest of his life. Um, and, and, and every day, Elon amazes me. So he releases the Twitter stuff, right? Um, before that, he, he came out and said, listen, vote Republican. That's that's a monstrous thing to say. He's the most influential guy in the world. Used to be the most popular guy in the world. He still is as far as I'm concerned. But without question, without question, he is the most influential human in the world. When the most influential human in the world who puts out cool stuff and no matter what the left tries to do with him, like they did with David Mamet, oh, he's finished, his career's over. You know, he, was, he used to be a good writer. Now he's gone nuts, so that's why he's become a conservative. Musk is, is changing the world on a daily basis, and, and he's doing it in an exciting way. And people get excited at what he does, and they want to drive Teslas. If this guy says about Republican, that means something. But now he's at the point where he's just, he's just, I don't want to say wallowing in it, because he's, he's, he's glorying, he's basking in it. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, I think it's a couple days ago. Elon tweeted out, he said, uh, my personal pronouns are, are prosecute Fauci. Prosecute slash Fauci. Those are my pronouns. I thought, oh. It's just, how do you beat that? You don't beat that. That's as good as it gets. As good as it gets. So, yes, I'm genuinely worried about his health. And uh, and that's that's that. Uh, Physics Hypernova for Super Chat says, what are your thoughts on the near $900 billion spending bill just passed by the Senate? I don't like having the, the, the cynical answer be the knee-jerk reaction, but that's where we are. To be honest with you, I'm being flip here, uh, physics, but only 900 billion? Why not 9 trillion, right? Money is not money in the way that we understand it, and it hasn't been for a long time. It, it is, it, the, that debt will never, ever, ever be repaid, and that's why they continue to print money. They continue to print money because the money's still worth something, and as long as people can still get something for a $20 bill, even with inflation, as long as money functions, then they just print all the money they want to, buy all the votes they want to. Eventually, there will come a time when this thing is going to collapse. And then 
we will get the, the Great Reset. It's not the Great Revolution. They didn't name it the Great Turning Point. They didn't name it the Great Awakening. They didn't name it the Great, um, the great uh, you know, Flowering. They named it the Great Reset. And I have no doubt whatsoever that that reset button is reset the debt. Reset the debt, right? Well, we can't pay this debt off, and, and the financial system's going to collapse, and we're going to have anarchy and, and, and you know, people eating rats on, on spits in the street over burning tires. We can't do that because of all this debt. So what we've decided to do is we're just going to zero out debt, all of it, just zero. We're going to have, we still have new debt, but we're just going to zero it out. <coughs> Which is why, in my opinion, guys like Bill Gates are taking their personal fortune, which is a form of electronic digits. And in exchange for electronic digits that can be reset, he's buying farmland. And a lot of these guys are buying tangible property. They're not buying financial instruments, and they're not buying intellectual property. They're not buying anything that can get zapped. They're buying land. They're buying buildings. They're buying that kind of thing. And I find that to be suspicious. I find it suspicious that the, that the person who owns the most farmland in the United States of America is Bill Gates because I don't personally think he does a lot of farming. I know he wants to reduce the population because he said so. So when I see Bill Gates buying up all this farmland, I start asking myself some questions. And when I see them shut down 3,000 farms in the Netherlands, just plain took them away, right? We're going to close them. Is it because we have too much food? No, we have a food shortage, actually. So why are you doing that? Well, save the planet. Okay. Okay. There is some, and I think I'm done after this. There is some, let's just call it last-ditch good news, right? At least how I see it. Right now, if Elon, uh, right now, if Bill Gates said, I want all of the farmland that I own to go farrow, farrow, uh, fallow, in fact, plow it under. If that happened today, they would. They'd plow it under, right? Because he owns the land, and that's what they do. They would plow it under. There's already some of that going on. And that's the bad news. The good news is, um, is that while Gates owns the farmland, and while there is still law and order, he can order things to be done with his land, yes. But if there's a food crisis, and we're really talking about the money system has collapsed and so on, and people are hungry, then just because Bill Gates owns that farmland doesn't mean that farmers aren't going to farm it, right? If things go south-south, then that farm is going to produce some food. And, and there's no amount of, what's he going to do, sue people? Is he going to send in his private army? They're hungry too, right? It, it, there comes a point where, where law breaks down and Bill Gates and, and, and Klaus Schwab's authority, ability to exercise their authority, breaks down too. This is, what, this is what the guy said earlier. People will not make a change until the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying the same. I guess it should be less than. So, here's the thing. Guys like Klaus, like Klaus Schwab and, and the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates and, uh, and, and Trudeau and all of this stuff, I did a rough, rough, rough back-of-the-envelope calculation on this. I said, are there eight of these guys? No, there's more than eight. Let's say there's 80. If there are 80 guys at this top level, 
then we outnumbered them 100 million to one, right? They can enforce their they can enforce their will on us as long as there is a functioning legal system because right now, if you decided that you wanted to, if Bill Gates wants to plow his fields over, he can do it because the law is on his side. But if the law goes away, then it's just 100 million hungry people and one nerd with a bad haircut and glasses, right? This is the thing that they fear more than anything. They fear that we will wake up to the fact that they only see they they that that damn Second Amendment is a real problem for them, right? That pesky, pesky, troublesome Second Amendment is a real problem for them. I I've been trying to imagine a a, a scenario where people actually grab their muskets, and and I haven't seen anything even like that. But I can't imagine a world where there's no food, no law, and they say that they're plowing that they're not going to farm this field because Bill Gates so said so. And at that point, I say, well, Bill can come down and, and, and mull and lobby, Bill. Come down and get your farmland, that kind of thing. That's the thing that, that they've got to be worried about, and I think that's the thing that they're trying to keep the pressure just under, because if that happens, they're in real trouble. Rushi Dark again for a super chat. Do we need to abolish property taxes so that people can be on their own homes and land? Income taxes would be survivable if people have a haven away from it. Yes, exactly. And then Chris B. Mofo says, hey, Bill, how does a farmer double his income? He installs a second mailbox. <laughs> That's so sad and so true. I have seen video of guys who were sent out by the government, not against the farmer's wishes, but sent out because the farmer had agreed with the government, I'm sure because they paid him, and, ha and I've seen these guys go out and plow under corn that was all practically ready to be harvested. Just just grind it back into the dirt. I've seen it with my own eyes. That kind of thing happens and continue to happen while there's food. If there's no food, then if somebody tries to plow under farmland, that person's not going to be protected by attorneys and lawyers and, well, same thing, and the legal system and policemen. So... Um, do you, Bill, do you believe we have a functioning legal system? You sweet summer child, have you forgotten the weaponization of the legal system against the law-abiding citizen? January 6th detainees, anyone? No, political animal, that's precisely my point. I don't believe we have a political, a functioning legal system. That's entirely my point. We have a, we have a, we have a weaponized legal system right now. And as long as the weaponized legal system is in place, they'll get away with things like January 6th and all the rest of it. I'm talking about the time when things get bad enough so that that legal system breaks down and then it's 100 million to one, right? That's that's what I'm talking about. The system, I have no confidence in the system, none. I don't have any confidence in the FBI. I don't have any confidence in in, in the in the bank. I don't have any confidence in, in any of it, none. Because I see it every day. So what I'm saying is, is that they, can, they have to keep, they have an agenda and they keep pursuing their agenda, but I, this is one of the reasons why I think they collect so much data. I've said this many times. I think they are in, in a constant feedback loop where they are monitoring the temperature of the population. How angry are people? They know that they can continue to make us angry and they can continue to get what they want and they continue to, to follow through with their plans. And as long as all we do are get angry, then too bad. 
that that's the new normal. But I'm convinced that they are, they are keeping a very close eye on whether or not people get angry to the point where they are now ready to take action. And they can't let us get to that point. Um, uh, Elon just tweeted out a poll asking Twitter whether he should let the people who doxed him back on Twitter. Majority said no. Yeah, I, I agree with that. If they'd said, if, if the question was, should I let the people who said mean things about me back on Twitter, I don't think they would have been banned in the first place. But doxing somebody, yeah, that's a, that's a violation. No, you, you've broken the, the, the law, or at least the, the, the moral law. Um, so anyway, yeah, things have gotten, things have gotten very, um, uh, much more transparent than they used to be. And, and, and this stuff didn't begin with Obama, but it, it really metastasized with him. So, um, uh, that's really, you know, the issue. And I did a, seg a Zoe segment today on the Virtue Signal, which we recorded earlier this afternoon, was he was basically saying now that the, that the UN and, and, and stuff are saying that they want to, that they're, they're going to add, they're, they're speaking a bit irreverently, but they're, they're adding new commandments to the Ten Commandments, which are basically thou shalt not, you know, uh, raise thy carbon footprint, that kind of thing. Um, and... Uh, and, and so it used to be global warming, but climate change is their ultimate weapon, right? Everything now is climate change. Why are we shutting down these power plants? Because of climate change. Why are we closing these farms down? Because of, because of climate change. Why aren't we drilling for oil? Because of climate change. Why is a dollar $6, gas $6 a gallon? Because of, because of climate change. Why, why, are we, um, why are we doing all of these controls over people? Oh, it's because of climate change. All of it is climate change. It used to be global warming, but they couldn't make that case anymore. And, and the point I made is, not only is it obvious that Al Gore said in 2005 that we've got 10 years to solve this problem, and this is why Rush Limbaugh's a genius and the rest of us simply ape him, right? Just imitate what he's doing. When that movie came out in 2005 and Al Gore says we have 10 years to solve this problem, I think the next day... Rush turned on the 10-year death clock, and he had a clock that was counting down 10 years. And, and that is magnificent. That's just so bloody brilliant every day. Because every time he'd talk about it, every time you'd see it, you keep thinking, well, we're halfway there. We don't look like we're halfway to catastrophe, right? So then the 10 years come and go, and, you know, by 2015, there will be no ice on the, on, on the North Pole. Uh, in summertime, and uh, sea levels will have risen this much, and most of Florida will be underwater, and you'll have to, you know, canoe your way through uh, New York. That's what's going to happen by 2015. Well, it didn't. And what I was saying to Zoe on the show today was, I'm not going to get into the whole, the whole uh, climate change thing, other than to just say one thing. I, I have often found that the best way to destroy an argument that I find to be ridiculous is to grant the premise without arguing and then just see what follows after that. And so what I would like to do, what does climate change have, is a question, what does climate change have in common with reparations, with the reparations movement? What do those two things have in common? I'll allow just a few moments here for the, uh, for the audience to respond. Meanwhile, I'll just do a small, what do they have in common? Um, the climate 
movement and the reparations movement. What do they have in common? People are undoubtedly going to say, well, they're here to destroy America. They're here to destroy morale. We're going to get all kinds of answers like that. I have no doubt. But I don't think that's the point I'm trying to make here. Everybody's typing like crazy because the both chat streams have just stopped all of a sudden. Uh, neither will be good enough. Many methods are many. Principles are few. They're based on BS. Yeah, and Roadrider says Jeopardy music. Dun, dun. That's exactly what it is, Jeopardy music. Uh, methods, uh, yeah, Marxist-led money, all of this stuff. Yes, these are the answers I expected, but that's not the answer that interests me. The thing that climate change and reparations have in common is that neither of them have ever given numbers, metrics. There are no metrics. And the reason for that is climate change always has to be something that you chase but that you can never reach. And have you ever heard anybody, have you ever heard anybody talk about reparations and say, this is the number we're talking about? $185,000. Have you ever heard that before? No, no. The reason that they've not given you the number, the reason they haven't come out and said, they always said, we want reparations, reparations, reparations all the time. Okay, what kind of reparations are you looking for? They don't tell you. They won't tell you because they can't tell you because they don't want reparations. They want to be able to constantly accuse you of something. But if, you, if they give you a number, the worst thing that could happen would be we, it would be paid, right? It's all about it is, a, it is a perpetually receding goalpost and climate exactly the same thing. What's going to happen? Well, a century, you know, this and this and this are computer models. If I talk to somebody like this, I'm, I'm going to grant them the premise. Got it. Okay. So you've got data that says we're warming at this rate. Yes. Sea levels are going to rise at this rate. Yes. And in 100 years from now, they're going to be what? They're going to be two and a half inches taller, right? In, in 100 years from now, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be, just because I'm just crummy with math, in 100 years, if we keep the way we're going, sea level is going to rise 10 inches. Rise 10 inches. Okay. So if it's going to rise 10 inches in 100 years, that means the average will be one inch per decade. So why don't we all get together, skeptics and, and the pro-climate people, and let's go out and measure what the sea level is right now. And before we go any further, we're going to agree only on one thing. We're going to agree on what the current sea level is right now in 2022. Your computer model says if the trends continue, this is what's going to happen in a century. Okay. That means that your computer models can tell us what's going to happen in five years, right? Because your computer models don't just jump from here to there. Your computer models are looking at what happens over time. So you're telling me this catastrophe is going to happen in, in, five, in, in 100 years. What's going to happen in five years, right? What's going to happen 5% of the way? Because you have to have that information, Otherwise, if you can't tell me what's going to happen in five years, you won't know what's going to happen in 10. You won't know what's going to happen in 100. I'm saying they will never give you numbers because if you give them, if they give you numbers, you can pin them down and hold them accountable. So what what is it that we're trying to do with the climate? What are we trying to do? We're trying to lower carbon. Okay, by how much? Well, we're in danger if we if we keep going the way. Yeah, I didn't ask you about that. I know the world's going to end in, in a year if we don't if we don't start eating our bugs and everything. I'm just curious. At what point? How many parts per million does the world die? Give me a number. Right? Give me a number. How, and and well, how do you know it's going to the world's going to be 
disappeared in 100 years? Well, we're climate scientists. Okay, so how do you know? Well, we built computer models. I said, okay, let's assume that your computer model is 100% accurate. Let's say that all of your data about temperatures is 100% accurate. Let's say you got the computer model absolutely right, 100% perfect. Let's just grant that premise. What does your computer model predict will happen in five years? Not in 100 years, five. Because that's something we can both live long enough to measure. If it's going to raise 10 inches in 100 years, then does that mean it's going to raise half an inch in five? Well, it might be nonlinear. Fair enough. Fair enough. What, is go what, is, what do your computer models say things are going to look like five years from now? And then you go out and you measure it. You get the skeptics and the true believers. You agree on the sea level. And then you see whether or not reality conforms to the model. And the reason that they continue to get on with this thing is because no one has ever held them to this. And the reason you haven't held them to it is because they've never given you a number that you can check. They've given you the ever-receding boogeyman of 100 years from now, this catastrophe is going to happen, but none of us can, can measure that. We're not going to be here to see it. So I'm going to be here in five years, I like to think. So tell me what's going to happen in five years. Then we'll know if your model's working. And if your model's working, hooray. You made the point, right? They won't do it. Reparations, we want reparations because of slavery, 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 slavery. Keep the country divided. Keep everybody angry. Keep keep owning the, the Democrat vote, owning the, the black vote in America. Keep doing that. Okay, no one has ever said, okay, so let's just say for the sake of the argument that we agree to the reparations, how much you want. They'll never tell you that. Never. Because if they tell you that, that's a number that could be achieved. And since we're printing money, I think if they say 200000 or a million, I think we just give it to them. We just pay it, right? Put it on our tab. We already owe $35 trillion. Put another $10 trillion on there. It's fine. Make them sign a document in exchange for their $100,000 or whatever the case may be, a legal document that says you are receiving reparation payment in order to make you whole. By accepting this money, you have dropped all claims against the payer and you have agreed that you have been made whole. Fantastic. Here's your reparations. You sign the document and we don't ever get to hear about slavery or racism in this country again, period. You claim an injustice was done against you. Okay. You've been, you have received compensation for that injustice. You don't get to cash the check and keep doing what you were doing before. If I have a, a sexual harassment case against a company and a company settles out of court and they make a cash statement, say a, a cash a judgment or forget out of court if they if they fight it in court and the court says no you're guilty you owe 10 million dollars okay if they pay 10 million dollars to the person that they've hurt that person doesn't get to sue them again the next day right they agree that this is the this is the dollar value that will solve the pro end the problem that's why you will never get a number on reparations you'll never get one because it could be met right and, and, and by the way, I've wondered quite a bit about this too. By the way, who's entitled to this? This was the problem that the Nazis had. All racists have this problem. The, the, the progressives are going to have this problem. Yes, they've been made whole. That's, a, that's a, what a reparation does. So, okay, so now who gets them? Well, black people were held in slavery. Okay, so this is going to go to black people. Yes. How black do you have to be? in order to get the reparations. What do you mean? Well, I haven't been to Africa, but I've seen Africans, and I've seen pictures of the African slaves that came over here, and those guys are black as night. 
there, I don't think there's a single American born who's as black as, as the black Africans were. So at some point or another, since all of the skin tones in our society are an endless spectrum, right? How much black blood do you have to have in order to qualify for the reparations? How much? Would Barack Obama qualify for reparations? He's 50% white, 50% black. What, where do you draw the line? I'm interested in your, uh, in your reparations argument. I think it's a very interesting argument. I'm ready to entertain it for reasons different than you, but let's just entertain it. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Eric got it. Is, is Barack Obama black enough to get the reparations? I don't know. I don't know. Is Jada Pinkett Smith? And then you can start to get into the point, okay, well, what if I've got 5% African blood, right? I look like a white guy. What if I've got 5% African blood? Does that make it? No. Okay, what number does make it? They can't do this. Even the Nazis, who were as ruthless and, and, and evil as, as anyone who's ever lived on this earth, they couldn't solve this problem. They had to, when they decided what they were going to do to the Jews, they had the problem not only of how to do it to them, they had the problem of how do we define a Jew? Who do we send to the camps? And they had to sit down and, and bang it out. And they would have different categories. If you had a Jewish mother and a, and a, and a non-Jewish father, then you probably went. If you had four grandparents and three of them were, were uh, non-Jewish, but one of them was Jewish, then you would probably be okay. And they went back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth with this. Marusha said the one drop rule. That's what was used to suppress black people. If they had a drop of black blood, if, if there was a drop of black blood in them, then they weren't right, get in the back of the bus, right? Okay, same argument goes the same way. What, how dark do you have to be to get the reparations? And just as an afterthought, since it just flew into my mind, what if I identify as a black person? Then what? I, 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 I do. I've, I've looked at all the injustice and, and all the horrible things, and you're right, white people are just terrible. I can't stand it anymore. I, I now, I've, I'm now a, I'm a black man because that's how I identify. From now on, that's, that's who I am, and you're going to have to respect that. What do they say to that? Do they say, well, obviously you're not. Well, yeah, but obviously... Leah Thompson isn't either, so that's not the issue. You're saying that if I believe it, then that is enough. Not only do I get treated as black, I am transmogrified, right? If I say I identify as black, then I am black. I become black. The definition of blackness includes me now. That's what they believe. That's what they believe. It's lunacy, but they believe it. So I've decided I, want to, I identify as a black person. I want some reparations too. Well, that's just ridiculous. Okay, how, how dark would I have to be for it not to be ridiculous? That's why you'll never hear a number on reparations because not only is it, is it attainable, not, not, they don't want to give you a number that they can match, but they also don't want to deal with the question of who, of who qualifies, right? They're certainly not going to, they're not going to make you prove that your family was in the country they're not, going to, they're not going to do a background check on every single person who's, who they're trying to get reparations for. They're not going to, they're not going to see whether or not your, your ancestors were in the United States after the emancipation, after the 13th Amendment. They're not going to do that. You're just going to say, I'm black, I want to check. Okay, that's, that's what they're selling it as. I'm not coming up with this. All right, how black do you have to be? Is Al Sharpton black enough? What about Obama? What about, what about um, um, Halle Berry? What about any of these people? What? 
where's the line? And they cannot draw the line. And in a really beautiful way, that actually proves our entire point. You cannot define somebody as black or white. You can't define it. There's no line there. Every single person in America, every black person in America clearly has some white blood in them. There's no question about that. You look at actual Africans and they don't look anything like that. And I think I heard, I think it was Colin Powell who said that. He said, I went to Africa and black Americans are not Africans. There's a big difference. Okay. So this is the kind of thing. They, they have a crazy idea. Granted, they have, they have a, an idea about climate. I'm not going to get in the weeds with them. I'm not going to claim that the numbers are false. I'm not going to say, well, this should be 11 degrees and you've corrected it. I'm not going to get in there, right? Because they're just going to hit you with all of this BS and all of these reports. I'm just going to grant their premise. Okay, temperatures are rising. Yes, I accept your temperatures. Yes, I accept that humans are responsible for it. Yes, I accept all of that. All of that, which I don't really believe, I'm going to grant it to you. What do your models say will happen in five years? They'll never tell you that. Because if they did, you would have them, right? They'd, they'd have nowhere to go. So, um, yeah, I think I'm kind of cooked here, gang. I'm sorry about all the ones I missed, but I'm always sorry about all the ones I missed. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I think if I didn't get to you, you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to repost because it's, I've been talking a lot and I'm tired and I'm hungry and I want to go to bed. I want to go home. You probably know this by now, but this show is made possible by the members at BillWhittle.com who, um, who part with their hard-earned money to keep these messages coming out for free for people who aren't paying. They pay for the people who aren't paying. They're carrying the freeloaders, although I don't like to put it that way. I just like to think of them as extraordinarily generous and, uh, and thoughtful and kind people. Uh, and they make this show possible and all of them possible. That's why we're still here. So uh, thanks very much to them. Always great to have the audience. Uh, and... Um, and I'm 80% sure I'll be here for the Monday night show, but I don't have anything new really to talk about or to show, but I would without fail be here next week for the uh, Stratosphere Lounge, and I'm virtually positive I'll be here Monday night as well. Uh, alrighty then, uh, that'll do it. Uh, thanks for joining us as always, and um, uh, we'll see you next time, campers. Don't let them get you down. That's That's... That's the target. That's the goal. That's the objective. <laughs>